I think one of the challenges we have in our culture right now is that we live in sort of a 280 character limit, soundbite, hot take kind of culture where everything can sort of be responded to in real time. And as long as you have like the newest, hottest take, you kind of, it, it wins. And if you, if you put your hot take with a clever picture next to it, maybe some, a rainbow or some clouds or something that like can stir your soul or a cute cat, it can get you to laugh or whatever, like you connect these things all together in some sort of meme, we end up sort of buying it and it, and it starts to get really confusing. And if someone puts a clever meme out there, you go, oh, I, maybe I, I agree with that or I believe that. But then if you just kind of keep scrolling through your newsfeed, you'll find a meme that is the opposite of that, right? And so I found a, a line, a couple, a couple quotes, and the interesting thing about these, they're, they're put with pictures, I'll show them to you in a second, is the interesting thing is whether the quote is true or not, it actually wasn't said by the person that, that it is attributed to in the meme. So first one right here, it says, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. You've heard that one, right? In America, Voltaire. Voltaire did not say that, but it looks good, doesn't it? Uh, it looks good when you see that. Next one, success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue that counts. Man, that sounds like Winston Churchill. Amazing, he just didn't say it. It's good though, like when you see it up there, you're like, oh man, yeah, Churchill, that guy. This one is so Mark Twainy, I can't even handle it. Age is an issue of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, Mark Twain never said that. It's good though, it's good. There's a really ancient quote here, a house that has a library in it has a soul. And so I agree with that, I think. Plato did not agree with that. He didn't say it, but, it's, it's, but when you put it there, Man, it's deep. That's some deep wisdom right there. This one, I know you've heard this one. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I don't know who said that, but it wasn't Albert Einstein. He's just the, the smartest person we could think of to, to put next to that quote to say like, no, you know, even Einstein said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. But there's something about that that just sort of confuses our minds. It confuses our thinking. We just sort of go like, yeah, that's true. Oh, man, Einstein said that? Man, that must be true because that dude was smart. What, what's going on there? This is the culture that we live in where we, if you just have an image and just attach the right name to it, it carries some, like, authority with it where you go, oh, man, that must be true. Those are really smart people said those things, even if they definitely did not say those things. And the whole thing becomes, I think, in, 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 in the words and the images that we use online and in our culture now, the whole thing starts to get a little confusing. And over time, I think it's getting harder and harder to know what's actually true, especially in the last couple of years in this culture of real news versus fake news and, 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 and all of that kind of stuff that sort of floats around online. And the internet, because of the medium that it is, and it, what the internet encourages is clicking and clickbait and, and, and reading things in short sound bites. It does not encourage deep work and, and deep thinking and really diving into something and pulling all the parts. That, that, that's not what the internet encourages. And so we're, we're in a situation where um, I think thinking has become clouded. And so I wanted to get into that because today Paul is going to kind of take us to the roots, some roots of our faith. And, and his, his concern, as we've been reading through the book of Colossians in the New Testament, Paul's concern that, that Jenny just read for us a moment ago is that we're gonna that we would be rooted that and, and that in, that we would think well? Our faith is actually um, sort of developed in our heads, and it is pursued with passion in our hearts, and it is acted on in our hands and feet. And so I, I want to kind of get into that of like how how do we 
How are we rooted in our faith? What does that mean? And Paul was concerned that this group of Christians that he was writing to in the city of Colossae, which is in south-central Turkey, modern-day Turkey, he was concerned that they would be rooted in their faith because they were trying to live out a faith in Jesus and they had actually never met Jesus. They hadn't even met Paul, who wrote the letter. They met a guy named Epaphras, which is one of Paul's buddies. And Epaphras had planted the church. And so Paul writes them this letter and says, hey, I, I want you to be rooted in this thing and, and really, really get it. Um, because in, in, in the ancient world, even, even in the church there at the beginning, fake news abounds, just like in, in our world today. There are, there are ways to be distracted by some crazy ideas. And so he gets into that. We're going to pick it up in Colossians chapter 2. Uh, we, got through, we got through one, it only took us a couple weeks, and now here we are, chapter two. We'll start with verse one. It says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All right, Paul says, look, I... I I just want you to know how much I struggle for you guys. Like, he's like, I'm on the struggle bus, yo. Like, I struggle for you, meaning like I'm concerned for you. I pray for you guys and for those that lay out of sea, which is a town that's like 12 kilometers away from Colossae, like these two towns. He's like, hey, I haven't been able to hang out with you, meet you, but I pray for you. I'm concerned about you. I want you to grow in, in your faith, and so I'm, I'm always praying for you. I'm always praying for you. Now, now think about these, these Colossians, the, the, these folks in this town. They didn't have what we have. They didn't have a Bible written down for them. So the only way they know about Jesus isn't from reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John like we can read now. The way they know about Jesus is to hear somebody talk about it. To hear Epaphras come and say, all right, well, there was this guy, Jesus, he lived, he came back from the dead, a bunch of people saw him, they've passed it on to me, I'm passing it on to you. Um, their faith, in a sense, is, is a little bit like ours. Their faith is kind of a secondhand thing. There's some degrees of separation between the people receiving this letter um, and the events uh, around Jesus' lifetime. There are, there's some years separation there, there's some geography separation there. Jesus served, ministered in Israel, and they're up in Turkey, so it's a, a bit of a, a different thing. And so they're having to follow Jesus when they haven't actually physically met him. And, and in, in a lot of ways, that's similar to us, right? We, we have geography and time separating us from the events that are written down about Jesus. And so Paul says, I have a concern for them, and he says, my desire for you is that your hearts, as a church, that the community, their hearts would be knit together is what he says. Uh, that, that there would be unity, that we, our hearts would, would beat as one, that we would function as a body, that we would be working together. He says, so that you can grow in your faith and reach what he describes um, full assurance of, of, of your faith. You can reach this full assurance. What is that about? What is full assurance? What's he talking about? Well, I think he's talking about and is really speaking to the progressive nature of our faith. And I don't mean progressive in the modern political sense of the word. I mean there's progress here. There's, you're stacking blocks together to, to, build you, to build your faith. So the idea being that today, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a year, you should know or, or, or be a little more dialed in today than you were a year ago. And maybe, or the year before that, and, and, and going on. Like, there, there's, a, there's a building process that happens here where you learn more and grow more, and, and there's a pro progression that should be happening in our faith. And if you are sitting here today going, I don't know more, or, and I haven't grown any in the last year, you should probably ask yourself, why? Like, what are you, what are you doing? What, what are you doing to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you? 
you should be taking some next steps in a small group or, or serving together or, or being involved, whatever it takes to learn more about God and grow in faith. Now, he says that all of that leads to what he describes as full assurance. What is full assurance in God? I, I, sort of in a modern way, I would say that full assurance is a reasoned, calm, uh, full-hearted, thoughtful belief in the goodness of God as revealed by Jesus Christ. And full assurance of your faith does not come easy because life can bring about a lot of pain. Life can bring about a lot of suffering. In the news, I mean, you scroll through your news feed and you see dark stuff. You see the shootings. You see the, the, the struggle. You see the disease. You see the natural disasters. You see stuff that just feels wrong to you or, or, or you would say, no, that thing is evil. You see that in, in culture, and you see it in your own life, too, in your family members, in extended family, and, and, and maybe in immediate family. You see a lot of brokenness and a lot of pain, and it's very easy in the midst of all that to not have full assurance in God. One, one thing just has to hit you wrong. One, I don't know, clever meme with a quote attributed to somebody that like says how, how dumb this whole belief in God is. You're like, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's right. Maybe I'm just kidding myself. Maybe I don't have assurance of my faith. And we can get so um, caught up in that. Is it even possible, as Paul says, is it, is it even possible to have full assurance of faith? I think it is. I think it is, and, I, and I've, I've seen it in people. I've seen people who walk around with incredible certainty in God. I don't know about 100% certainty because that's not faith at all. Faith would require some, some gap there, some measure of doubt, some, some leap. So I'm not talking about 100% certainty, but I'm, I'm talking about a solid, rooted belief in, in Jesus and in God and, and, and in who he is and who he says it is and who he says he is. Um, and I've seen that in people. Do I have 100% certainty all the time? No, I, I don't. But I think as I'm growing, as I've been a follower of Jesus for 30 years now, I think I have more than I used to have. Um, it's, uh, it, it's a progressive thing. So how do you get more faith than you used to have? I'll, I'll come back to that. Let's read on, and let me just jump into a couple of the things, and we'll kind of hit that at the end. Verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. All right, already in, in the early church, Paul's concern is that people are going to come along and say ridiculous stuff that people are going to get confused by and, and led astray by. That was true in his culture. That is true in our culture. And you see in the history of the church, you see all sorts of weird ideas start to pop up. And you see it in our culture too. We just have the internet so you can accelerate those ideas and get them out there faster. Any weird idea you have, it is found somewhere on some corner of the internet that will support what weird idea that you might want to have. And so Paul's concern is that we would be deluded not by blatantly obvious lies, but by plausible arguments. So if, if, if you said, man, I want to try out this God thing. I'm in a church that seems to be a place that maybe you could find God. Um, the Jesus thing kind of makes sense to me. I'm sort of interested. So you're like checking that out. And then I'm like, but really, guys, the way we follow God truly is to worship Satan. And we're going to get like a pentagram. And then you're going to like, everyone's going to get like a goat tattoo and all this. You'd be like, I don't know. That sounds a little bit weird. Like, I don't think that's 
really like, you know, goat blood and we're going to do the whole thing. And you're like, nah, I don't know. I, that, that, does, that doesn't sound plausible to you coming from a, a religious institution of the church, right? That, that, that wouldn't sound right to you. So you would immediately eject, reject that out of hand. And that's not the problem. It's not the things that are like obviously weird or like outliers or whatever. The problem is stuff that sounds pretty darn good, sounds true-ish, sounds mostly right. That's the stuff that, that can pull us off target. The sociologist Christian Smith wrote a, a book back in 2005, I believe the book's called Soul Searching. He, he interviewed thousands of American teenagers in 2004, and he interviewed them about their spiritual beliefs, their, their spiritual and religious beliefs. And, and, and he put all of these beliefs together in, in one kind of tight system, and he calls the system MTD, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. This is the religious beliefs of American teenagers, and really, those teenagers are adults now, and really, I think these five main ideas of moralistic therapeutic deism are kind of the main religious ideas of Americans, um, not just uh, of, of American adults, not just teenagers. They're moralistic in, in, in that these these views have something to do with morals and ethics. They are therapeutic in that these, these views help you feel a little bit better about your life. And they are deist, which means it's the idea of God as being like a divine watchmaker. Like God made the clock and then he just set, steps back and just lets it go and lets humanity do its thing, right? So moralistic therapeutic deism is sort of the unofficial religion of America. And, and so here's the five main ideas. And, and listen to how these sound true-ish. Because they're going to sound plausible, and maybe you're going to hear these five things. You're going to be like, actually, I agree with every single one of those. Those sound great. I, I don't know. Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. That's the only one I'm not going to quibble with, okay? I, I'll say that is actually true. It, from, for, as I see the world, uh, that is true. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Okay, all right, uh, I, I'm a fan of good and nice and fair. Uh, it's a bit incomplete, but that's, okay. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Again, these are interviewing teenagers in 2005, and, and I would say most adults kind of do this. Yeah, I just want you to be happy, and we're just concerned about your happiness, and I'm a fan of happy. We'll talk about it more in a series later this year. Um, I just don't know that I would agree that the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. If it is, Jesus entirely missed that um, because his life ended in crucifixion um, and, and he said things like, um, if, if anyone wants to come after me, let him take up his cross. Deny yourself is what Jesus says. Doesn't seem like uh, he thought the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. So God stays out unless you need to rub the lamp and you need three wishes and then God shows up and he will give you your wishes and then you're going to be fine, right? And then number five, good people go to heaven when they die, right? This is what we believe. Good people, far more people believe in heaven than hell and most of us think we're going there if, in, in America, um, and maybe because we don't have a lot of war on our soil that we, that we think that, you know, oh, definitely people are going to hell, the, the, the enemy here or whatever. We, we sort of think like, no, we're going to go to heaven. Good people are going to go. I'm mostly on, on the balance of things. I'm more good than bad generally. If we're grading on a curve here, I'm probably better than average. We also think we're better than average drivers. There's a lot of things we think we're better than average, which is totally false. We're average, right? Like I... Like I it, that's, how, that's what average means. It means most of us are this, right? But... Um, 
but, but the, this is the beliefs that we have in this culture, and these things are true-ish. They're plausible arguments. They're close. They're just not the gospel. They're not Christianity. They just sound pretty good, and, they, and they're, and they're kind of therapeutic. And even the last one, good people go to heaven when they die. If you just read the story of Jesus... You know that's not true because he's sitting there on a cross at the end of, end of his life before his resurrection. He's on a cross, and he's hanging on the cross between two criminals. Criminals, clearly not good people. And he looks at them and says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Like, he's just, like, speaking them into heaven in the moment. Like, you got, yep, you guys are in. Clearly, they weren't good people. That's how they ended up, in their case, that's how they ended up on a cross. They were criminals in society bad people, and Jesus looks at them and says, you're going to be with me in heaven. So this whole, like, good people go to heaven when they die, that can't be right. So those are plausible-sounding things that, over time, shape us and can delude us. And in our culture, that's maybe some of the stuff Paul might have written about. And we need to be wise in how we think about things. We need to get wise in our thinking and, and, and reasoned in our thinking, it's weird what's going on out there and just kind of in, in our culture around thinking, around deep thought and doing the deep work. I read a stat the other day that said 59% of the articles shared on Twitter were not even clicked on by the person who shared them. Think about that. So people are, over half the time, people are sharing things they haven't even read. Like, man, this is great. Based on title alone, I guess, or something. Not even like we're not doing the deep work of like reading into a subject, you know, books deep. We're not even reading the article. We're reading the headline and, and proclaiming it as truth enough to share it with other people. This is a problem, and, and, and we need to learn how to think critically. I think Paul's concern for them and, 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 and would be the concern, I think, in our culture as well, is that we would think critically, that we would not be deluded by stuff that sounds good, but in the long run, just pulls you away from God. That's actually not helpful. So continuing on, verse 5, he says this. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Paul says, as you have received Jesus, so walk in him. Now, how did they receive Jesus? Well, they didn't receive Jesus by personally meeting him. They received Jesus by hearing about him secondhand from some people who are witnesses to eyewitnesses of Jesus. So there's like, if we're gonna play the Kevin Bacon game, they're like at least three degrees removed maybe from, from Jesus himself. And so Paul says, as you received him, so walk in him. So how did you receive him? You received him by faith. You believed in something not seen. You believed in something and gave your life to something. You couldn't like scientifically, empirically test. You couldn't like get all of your senses around it. You just had to go with it and believe. And, and Paul says, as you did that now, walk this way. Walk by faith. Live your life, not by just what you can see and what you can touch and what you can smell and what you can verify, uh, walk your life by faith, live your life out by faith. And he uses these analogies, and we kind of named the whole series after this. He uses three different kinds of analogies in verse 7. He says, uh, walk in him, he says, rooted 
and built up in him and established in the faith. Rooted is a horticulture word. He's saying put down roots like trees deep into the ground. You need to be rooted. You need to be enmeshed there and drawing water from the soil. You need to dig your roots deep so that when the storm comes, you're not knocked over. So he says, I want you to be rooted. And then he says, and built up, which is an architecture term. He's talking about building a foundation and, 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 and growing the sort of the progressive nature of the thing, as I was talking about before. So he says, rooted, deep roots in the ground, built up, you're building something stronger. And he says, and established in the faith. Established is a legal term, like you would establish something as being true in a court of law. So he's saying, I need you to have deep roots. I need you to build on this thing. And, I, and, I, and you got to build it strong because you're going to get cross-examined legally, right? You're going to be cross-examined. And so you need to uh, establish this thing solidly so that you aren't pulled away. So how do we do that? How are we rooted in our faith? How are we built up? How are we established? What are, how do we reach what, we, what Paul says earlier? How do we reach full assurance? Um, here's a couple ideas, and I want to give them to you, and uh, I really want you to think, think through these of, of I don't want you to walk out of here today and go like, oh, yeah, maybe I would do that, or that's kind of interesting. Like, I, I'd like you to consider how would you incorporate, like, what's your next step? How would you actually incorporate the things I'm going to tell you of, of what it would take to be rooted so that you can have full assurance, so that you can grow, so that the older you get, the more confident you are, so that when you die one day or as you're, as you're nearing death, you go, no, I, I understand where this is going. I understand. I have assurance. Um, because, man, I'm telling you, I've been to a lot of funerals, and, I've, and, and I've, there's just a difference. There's a difference between people who are um, rooted followers of Christ and people who aren't in the way their family and their friends and, and the way people treat, treat that. And, and death, as I've told you a few weeks ago and many times before, death is coming for all of us. And so think through this. How can we be rooted? Let me give you two ideas. Number one, be rooted in your study of God's word. Be rooted in reading, going through, uh, and, 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 and picking this thing apart and just studying it. We gave out a guide when this series started called Rooted, and it's a colorful guide, a, a, the bright cover, and uh, inside are just scriptures to go through and some ways of reading it, some questions to ask, and a place for you to write down some thoughts. And it's just reading a few verses. It's actually just the, the seven verses that we read this morning. If you're going through the guide, you read those same seven verses all week this week. So it's not like, oh, there's so much reading, it's so involved. No, it's just get into it, let words or phrases sort of jump out as you write down what you think, you know, kind of meditate on it, kind of chew these things over, turn them over in your mind. Um, and the reason we spent money on that is I didn't want to give it to you just in a digital format that you could just sort of take it or leave it. I didn't want just a hyperlinked, click this and that's it. I wanted something that, you, that was physical that you would engage in and say, okay, I'm going I'm to get into this. And some of you have taken it, and I've heard some people feedback, hey, really, thanks for doing this. This has been great. Other people said, man, when you do this for Advent, this has been really helpful for me because I see it first thing in the morning when I get up, and it reminds me to get into it and read it. This is why we put it in front of you, because we want you to use it. This is why we spend money to print the thing. It's really cheap to do it digitally, but we spent the money to print it because we really value getting into the Word. Not that... We, we, not that you would just hear scripture from me on a Sunday or from a podcast or, or anything like that, but that you would just open the thing up and, and dive in and let God speak to you. The same Holy Spirit that resides in me is in you if you're a follower of Christ. And so you read that thing and let God speak to you and start, start teaching you this is how 
uh, we can be rooted. That's not exciting every day you read it. Some days you're like, eh, I don't know what I was supposed to get out of that. But over time, it's the day-by-day nature of it. Slowly, bit by bit, over time, you are built up and your faith grows and it is established in, in him. You know, a, a lot of people, I mean, to make this practical, a lot of people wish they could hear from God. They say, man, like, man, I, I'm dealing with this thing at work or this relationship and things are struggling right now. I'm, you know, the dating thing, I don't know what I'm going to do here. Or like, in our marriage is having a hard And I wish God would just make it clear for me. And there's career options. I don't know where to go. Where, where is God leading me? We want to hear from God. We, we would like to hear audibly from God. I think it would be terrifying, but... We would like to hear audibly from God. I know a few people who have, who have an experience of that. Um, but the reality is, it's like, man, don't say you want to hear from God if you're not willing to read what he already wrote down for you. Like, it's there. The, the closest to, to hearing from God I've come is through reading his word and stuff just jumps out at you. And you're like, oh, that. Okay, God's, God's shining the light on this thing and he wants me to hear this. He wants me to know this. So if you want to hear from God, get in and look at what he's already said. You're like, well, man, Chris, how am I going to have a relationship with God through a book? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, I told you back in the fall when we were doing a series on heaven and hell, I told you about my grandfather who was a a preacher in London back in the 1920s. And after being a preacher, he then went on to be a children's book author. And once I started finding all the stuff out about him in 2010, I started looking up what he had written and what, you know, what his story was. And I actually found a book that he wrote. And I was able to get it off of eBay because you can get anything off of eBay. Because it's not like this is a popular book. In, in his, this isn't like Little Women or something. We're talking about like my grandfather's goofy little book. Um, but uh, I, I was able to get this book off, off eBay. It's called Uncle, his name was Lionel, Uncle Lionel's Children's Hour, right? And it's got, a, for, for no discernible reason, I've read the book, for no discernible reason, there's a picture of three dogs on the cover on a, on a, by, the, by a lake or something on a, I don't know, and they're on, it looks like they're on a diving board, a raft, I don't know. And at the bottom it says, where's mother? I don't know. It wasn't so, sna- it wasn't so uh, clever back then. They didn't quite have, like, uh, great marketing figured out on these things. But anyway, um, so he wrote this book, and there's some pictures in here, and there's some stories in here. And so I read it, um, and it's weird. It's just weird to read it. Because this is my grandfather who died in 1945, so long before I ever came along. So I never met the guy, and, and I'm like, okay. And I read the way he wrote and what he wrote about. And the way you wrote to children in 1935 is very different than you write to children today, right? This isn't like you know, hop on pop or whatever, like see, spot, run. This is like he's going into some parables and he's talking about his own childhood and whatever. But here's the thing. The analogies he uses are weird. The time frame this was written in is very different. Um, The things he talks about are sometimes hard to relate to. But I found myself, as I was reading this, uh, I, I found myself like, oh, Okay, because he tells kind of personal stories. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know that about my grandfather. I didn't know he did that. I, like, he went off to boarding school. I didn't know he went to boarding school. Like, and and in, in some way, I, I felt like I was able to learn what he thought about and what he cared about and what mattered to him as I was able to, as I, as I read this. And, and in, a, in a little way, I felt like I was able to understand a little more of my background 
and, 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 know, and know him in a sense, even though I, I, I have never met him. And I think there's something very similar that happens when we read the scripture. When you read it, you go, oh, okay, that analogy is a little weird, or maybe that's an agrarian society thing that I don't quite get. But like, I, I, I read the scripture and I go, oh, okay, God cares about that, or, or no, that challenges me over here, or I, I learn a little bit more about my father by, by reading uh, the words that he has written down for me. So, so let me just challenge you. Get in there, read it. Um, grab that rooted study from the welcome table. If you didn't pick one up, you can grab it and read it with us through the month of March. Um, and I, I think uh, a big avenue for growth, yes, you can listen to sermons and podcasts and all that kind of stuff, but a big avenue for growth will come when you just crack it open and read it for yourself. Number two is this. So be rooted in your study of God's word. Number two, I would say get, be rooted by getting plugged into the community. The church at Colossae, remember this, they don't have Bibles to read. So reading cannot be the only avenue for growth. It historically never has been. You're talking about illiteracy through the Middle Ages. Like, okay, then if you're going to know Jesus, it's not from just reading a bunch of stuff. Um, you have to rely on and get plugged into and be involved in the traditions and the community that, that you're a part of. Um, these, these folks in the, in the Scripture, in Colossae and other places, Laodicea, their faith grew and it grew because they were in community with one another and they were living out what it means to follow Jesus and they were living in a counter-cultural way compared to the rest of the Roman Empire. And in doing that, Paul prays that their hearts would be knit together. There was a unity that develops from, from that. The reality is for us, we come from a variety of different backgrounds and that would have been true back then as well. And here in this room, from people, really, you're, you're, if we were to trace back your lineage, you're, you're, we're not, we're ethnically, you know, there's people from all over the world, basically, the roots in, in this room, and, and social classes, and different incomes, and different career paths, and all the different ways we could separate out people. There's a, a range of, of people in the room, and, uh, and that was true in Colossae, and it's true in, in our culture as well. And so one of the ways that we will grow in our faith is to spend time with all these different people and, and be challenged and, and encourage one another. This is why we invite you into small groups and in, into community environments so that we will grow as, as, a, as a family. Now, growth doesn't come just from, you know, being rooted, built up in our faith, established. That doesn't come just from learning more content. It's not just a head thing. It's a heart and a hands and feet thing as well. Um, but we do believe that change happens in community. Change happens in community. It, it, our faith grows when we engage, when we serve, when we get involved, when we, and, and when we take risks. Because when I say reading to you, that sounds like a risk if you don't read. Like, ah, well, that sounds like a waste of time. Um, if, if I say get into a small group or serve, that sounds like a risk because it's, it's, it's connected to your free time and, and things like that. Um, but our faith will grow when we take risks. Um, a lot of times we just want to take safe risks, you know, which actually aren't risks at all. Safe risks that aren't risky gives a faith that isn't faithy. I don't know. That, is, that, has, no, that, has, no, that has no faith in it. Um, so my encouragement to you is to say, hey man, this year I'm going to dig my roots deep. I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm going to I'm going to read. I'm going to I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going to lean into the community. I'm going to take some some God-sized risks. Let's pray.
God, help us to be rooted people who um, are not blown about by every trend in culture, every fad, every, everything that changes every few minutes. Uh, we know, God, that we, we can only live in one time and space, so we are 21st century uh, folks in America. But I, I pray that we are able to develop a broader perspective on life, on what matters, on why we're here, and I, I pray we're able to really drink in all the wisdom of Scripture and all the wisdom of the ages to help inform what life is about as we, uh, even as we live in, in a very digital and fast-paced culture that we're in now. Um, God, help us to be rooted people um, who, who send our roots down deep, um, even deeper during the dry periods so that we're able to withstand uh, the storm. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.